is the Wrestling with Edwards podcast with your host, Scotty Wrestling. Today is a very special episode as it is the first official AEW preview alongside Robbie Sutter, which will be closing out our show today. But for now, you just have me. So before we get to the massive preview for later on in the show, let's talk about a few things from this past week wrestling-wise. So, on Saturday night, technically Sunday in Japan, was the Hana Kimura Memorial Show Matanei. And from beginning to end, I don't think I've ever seen a more special, more important, and more just beautifully well done show I have tears in my eyes talking about it right now it it got me more than any show ever before and personally I was able to settle down during the matches the matches made it feel like you know what this is really this really is a celebration that's what this was this entire show was a celebration of life. Everyone telling Hana that we will see you again down the road. Kyoko Kimura put together just such a wonderful, wonderful show for her daughter. And I didn't I didn't know if I was gonna be able to really talk about this or not just because of how the show hit me like nothing in wrestling I guess has hit me before in terms of a show you know if you haven't listened to it yet the last two episodes um, in the feed are part one and part two of the honoring Hanakamura special and that meant so much to me to do. It meant so much to me that so many people were willing to talk and join. But my whole thing is I'm just so upset that any of this has to happen. In a sense that Hana should still be here. 
she should be able to become one of the biggest, if not biggest, stars in wrestling today. That's that's the matter of fact that's just so difficult for me to handle. And just, we all miss her so much. Matane from beginning to end to me was the show of the year nothing will beat that and I just I just want us all to remember to be kind and you know remember why you love certain wrestlers so much I've seen people say you know it's corny to tag wrestlers on Twitter no no if you're letting them know that they mean something to you or if they're your favorites or you enjoyed a match of theirs or anything in a sort of praise, keep doing it. You know you know they enjoy seeing that. So that's where I'm at. Just be kind and continue to just support your favorites because you just never know. Now, what I did want to talk about from the show, especially was the uh, what ended up being the double main event as Kagetsu and Hazuki both returned from retirement for this one night special in the assumed main event was Kagetsu Hazuki. Konami and Death Yamasan forming the Oedo Tai team against Asuka, Miyamomono, Natsupoi, and Shiri. Just absolute talents. Just like what a tag match. And my goodness, did they put on a show. This was one of the best tag matches you'll see all year. One of the best eight-man tags you'll ever see. Eight-woman tags. Um, it's It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Asuka eventually pinned Hazuki to get the win. And this would have been my match of the week. But no, no. No, no. That wasn't, that wasn't it for Asuka and Kigetsu. It was Asuka challenged Kigetsu to a... Singles match right after. Asuka's just so good. And what's even more incredible is that Kagetsu, not wrestling for over a year. Hazuki, not wrestling over for over a year. I should add her into the mix. They just instantly were among the best wrestlers in the world once again. Kagetsu had two elite matches in this one show this match with Asuka is fourth on my match of the year list the tag match top 10 these people went all out to put on a show in honor of their friend and that's the beauty of it Kigetsu versus Asuka was pro wrestling greatness to me you know the emotion 
that had to be running through them, that had to be running through all of their thoughts. Man, like, and they were able to do this? It's funny, Kagetsu said before the show, don't compare it to what I used to do. Uh, but I can, and I will, because you were great. It was just amazing. It was an amazing show. And after um, Hazuki did make clear that she may come back down the line to wrestling, which is you know, just absolutely excitement. Um, but in the end, here's all I'm going to say. Hana Kimura... Matane. Well, on to the rest of the week. There isn't much here that I want to talk about from uh, SmackDown or Raw, but we will make this quick. So, NXT UK. Yeah, it's probably the first time I've talked about NXT UK in a very, very long time. So, the Heritage Cup. This is what I really wanted to talk about from NXT UK. At least this week, because I think the heritage rules itself and what the cup represents in the UK gives it this impressive feel, a feel of, you know, being different from the rest of WWE in a sense. And the heritage rules have provided me some of the most enjoyable matches I've seen in WWE this year. Well, they might not be always these four-star classics. They're just a lot of fun. I like the change-up that they bring to the table. And when it comes down to this past week, it was the best Heritage Cup match I've seen yet. Tyler Bate versus A-Kid. A-Kid, the reigning Heritage Cup champion, put it on the line against Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate is the... NXT UK original, one of the founding fathers of the brand. And these two had a excellent match. It ended up going over those five rounds, going to the six rounds where Tyler Bate will get the fall and win the cup. Definitely a match I recommend anyone checks out. It was just it was just a lot of fun. A lot of fun and again, this heritage stuff, like I have to see it every single time they have these now. I'm just I've just become such a big fan of them. Uh, on to SmackDown this week. Uh, Roman Reigns did some good stuff. Seth Rollins attacked Cesaro once again. But really, the story was the main event. The main event was the Fatal Four Way for the Intercontinental Championship. As Apollo Crews defended against Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and Big E. Biggie looked like he was closing on the win when Aleister Black returned from the darkness, hitting a black mass on Biggie, putting him out one, two, three, allowing Apollo Cruz to retain his title. Apollo, uh, Aleister Black against Big E. That's that's money right there. That is absolute money right there. I am so happy Aleister Black is back. The man is shredded. He looks. It to be in the best shape of his life and man I hope this means only the beginning for him because adding him to that Smackdown roster and what this show has been oh it's exciting it's very exciting and I think Aleister Black is a future intercontinental champion he could be a world champion if they wanted him to 
Let me just put that out there. For Monday Night Raw, Xavier Woods put on a show against Matt Riddle, and this is something I've been meaning to talk about, which is Xavier Woods is uberly talented. What he's able to do in the squared circle is very much underappreciated. Underappreciated in something that I've been a fan of for a long time. This match just showed his pure ability in there. I, I hope someday he can get a singles run because he's just that good. I've um, always been a big fan. I always will be a big fan of Woods. Uh, definitely, this was a coming out party of sorts for him despite the loss. And let's get to NXT. NXT saw the show open up with Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai facing off against Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon. Shotzi and Ember picked up the win, but Raquel Gonzalez destroyed Shotzi Blackheart after the match. And it seems that she is sending a message to Ember Moon, who could be Raquel's next challenger, perhaps an NXT takeover in your house. That's a match I wasn't expecting, but one I definitely welcome. If that's where we're going, heck yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, Ember Moon's awesome, and uh, I think she'll put on a good show with Raquel. Pete Dunne versus Bobby Fish. Pete Dunne defeated Bobby Fish. Not a lot here. Um, it's exactly what you expected. Uh, next week, Pete Dunne, Kyle Riley, and Johnny Gargano will face off with the winner going on to face Karrion Cross at NXT TakeOver in your house. Hit Row had a nice little promo here, pretty much putting everyone on notice. It sure seems as though Swerve is going for the North American title, and he's likely going to beat Bronson Reed for it, if I had to guess. But first up will be Santos Escobar as when Bronson Reed was cutting a promo, then Legado del Fantasma went out there to attack. MSK made the save. But it looks like we're going to get Santos Escobar and Bronson Reed for the first uh, first title defense of Bronson Reed's title reign. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Mercedes Martinez defeated Zeta Ramir. Tian Shah left their mark on Mercedes. Now this, this is what I'm excited for. Because Tian Shah is just an incredible group. I think the mystery behind them, you know, the skill that Isaiah Lee has. I hope Bo ends up wrestling soon, too. She's a star, man. She is such a star. And this is the perfect launching pad for her. And the fact that she's going to probably be facing Mercedes Martinez first. Or soon in a new feud? Oh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, that should be a really, really good display for someone like Zaya. Cameron Grimes and Ted DiBiase had the million-dollar face-off. The Cameron Grimes babyface turn has been completed. Ted DiBiase ended up siding with L.A. Knight, who laid out Cameron Grimes in the middle of the ring. The crowd was very behind Grimes. And it seems... That this is where we're going. A Cameron Grimes babyface turn. 
Who would have thought they could have made the million dollar everyday man the baby face? I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, Grimes has been killer in this role. He's only going to be killer moving forward. Frankie Monet had her NXT debut, and my goodness, was this a display. This debatedly, debatedly, was the best. Okay, let me let me take it back a little. Her and Saray had the two like best back-to-back debuts I may have ever seen in NXT. In terms of like presentation and importance, they have both in their entrances alone, showed that they are major, major players. And Frankie had a fantastic entrance. She has a great theme song. And my only question now is, when do they give her the title? Because I think she's beating Raquel Gonzalez. I'm thinking probably the takeover after this one, or, yeah, probably after In Your House, probably the SummerSlam takeover. I think that's when... Frankie Monet becomes NXT Women's Champion. I don't think we're going to wait too long. Because, you know, Frankie's a little bit older, which isn't usually that big of a detriment. We saw Shayna Baszler have a hell of a run in NXT. But I think she's so talented and ready for the main roster already that they're going to try to get that title on her as soon as possible, and she'll probably drop it to Saray down the line. And finally, the main event, the rematch. Karrion Cross versus Finn Balor. Finn Balor gave it his all. He gave it his absolute all, but Karrion Cross put him down one more time. He put him to sleep. And now the question is, what is next for Finn Balor? I've been asking myself this for a while. And I think, personally, what is next for Finn Balor is that he's going to end up going to Raw or SmackDown. But the only reason he goes there is if they have something for him. It's either that or they give him a new feud with who? I'm not sure. But Finn Balor has done it all in NXT. And he could stay there and be just fine. But to me, it's almost like when do you get him to that main roster? When does he get to fully shine up there? Because Finn Balor is a guy that so many people love. And he can be your main event star instantly, which is something that I think Raw needs. So, will Finn Balor go up soon? I don't know. But this feud's over. Karrion Cross is on next. And if I had to guess, it will be Karrion Cross versus Pete Dunne at NXT TakeOver in your house. So that's that for the weekly roundup. But now, it's time for me and Robbie to make our debut together as we preview AEW Double or Nothing. Enjoy. All right. So this is the official AEW Double or Nothing preview for this Sunday, May 30th. And with me, beginning this week, is Robbie Sutter, my uh, official co-host for AEW previews and reviews of the pay-per-view. So, Robbie, thanks for joining me. Once again, Scotty, thanks so much for having me back on the show. Um, I've been a bit of a repeat guest, as it were, on Wrestling with Edwards. Uh, started off talking about Gatamu Pro Wrestling and Chaka Pro, the first episode I was on. Then took part in the Hanakamura Memorial project that you've been working on. And now we sit here talking about AEW Double or Nothing, the first 
um, capacity crowd event that we've had since the pandemic. So very exciting stuff. Yeah, I didn't even, I completely forgot about that part of the whole uh, venture. You know, I've been so used to the uh, limited crowds for so long that I didn't even like register in my mind that this is the first one. That's, you know, that's really exciting. As someone that's not in the crowd but will be watching on television like yourself, um, the atmosphere is going to be awesome. And I think that more than anything is where a lot of my excitement personally comes from for the show. I'd have to agree with you on that one. Uh, The first capacity crowd that we've had during COVID since the pandemic started, as as far as like the major companies are concerned was WrestleMania. And that was a a breath of fresh air to say the least, because now you're seeing fans back in attendance as things should be, you know, you're no longer, having to settle for the Thunderdome and, you know, having these, the, the, these screens surrounding the, the, the ring looking like some sort of Orwellian nightmare type of nonsense. But no, <laughs> it, it, it's great that we're finally getting back into a sense of normalcy as far as these wrestling events are concerned. Yeah. So this is the first, like you said, the first full capacity wrestling event in over a year, at least when it comes to major promotions. And this will really kick off what is the return to normalcy, as I believe AEW will kick off a tour in July that will be in the uh, southern region of the United States, including Texas. And then, as we know now, WWE will be doing the same on a 25-city tour in July. But I think this, you know, this will really kick off something special and i know you brought up wrestlemania i don't believe that was at the full 100 but i feel like at times during that show it definitely felt like it was it it definitely did and once again it's you got to keep in mind it's wrestlemania i feel like any sort of crowd activity it's going to be heightened just based on the importance of that event and how how energetic fans are going to be and it's going to be very interesting to see an aew event with a more traditional audience back in attendance. So it'll be interesting for that reason alone. Now, I wanted to get your grasp on this because it's been something I've kind of been thinking about a little bit. So Double or Nothing is the first official event AEW ever had in terms of like a wrestling show. Do you, in your opinion, consider this their WrestleMania or do you think All Out is? You know, I I feel like, you know, I have to agree that uh, Double or Nothing is very much like AEW's WrestleMania of sorts. If I were to compare All Out to a WWE event, just for context, I would say it's more of like a SummerSlam. Still a big event, and definitely one that people should check out, but it's more in the summer, whereas... You, you expect double or nothing during the spring months of the year. So that, that's the that's the comparison I would make if I had to make one. Yeah, I think you're, you know, totally on point there. I remember last, no, two years double or nothing, of course, was the debut of John Moxley, which, I mean, technically it was the debut of everyone, but that I feel like really solidified to me, including just how incredible an event that was, was that, 
yeah, this is their show. This is the number one show. Um, I know it won't be in Vegas this year. Uh, it wasn't last year as well, but I think this is the beginning of, you know, with the full capacity. I think next year, this time, hopefully they'll be back in Vegas. Yeah, same here, man. Um, as someone who's been to Vegas multiple times, it's a lot of fun. If you can make a week trip out of it, you know, go for it because there is a lot to do. And if you can sort of cap it off with double or nothing or have it be a highlight of your trip, go for it. But I'm excited to see AEW do their traditional tours. Yeah. Or, you know, SummerSlam, hint, hint, wink, wink. But, you know, that's a different company, but we're on double or nothing. So I have enjoyed, you know, tossing back and forth here, but we should probably talk about the card because to me, you know, just, you know, looking at the paper here, there are 10 matches scheduled, including the buy-in. It's one of their stronger cards, I think, from top to bottom. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, you look at the card here, and there are a lot of strengths here, a lot of matches that I'm looking forward to, a couple that uh, I'm a little lukewarm on. But if I were to look at this card as a whole, I would say it's a must-see event. And I think they're going to prove everyone right come Sunday. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah, 1,000%. I think there, you know, is something important about how you have your billing of your top matches. And to me, it's it's really difficult to get bigger and better than Cheetah and Baker for the women's title and then Omega, Pack, and Orange Cassidy. Because, first of all, you know, Omega and Sheeta are both, like, two top-tier champions. You know, people don't always love Omega. Like, that's a discussion for another day. Like, I think Kenny Omega is a great professional wrestler, and he's a great world champion. And when you give him two opponents like Pac and Orange Cassidy, that creates very much high intrigue for me as a fan because Pac is, you know, to me, one of the best in the world. And Cassidy is going to be able to work off both of them, I think, in a very unique way. So I'm excited for that. And, of course, there is Sheeta and Baker, which is, to me, the biggest women's match in the history of AEW so far. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of Hikaru Sheeta and Britt Baker, um, I've actually been working on a more comprehensive piece for Last Word in Sports Pro Wrestling that should be published uh, this coming Saturday. I'm not too sure when this show is going live, but, yeah, you can expect a, more of an in-depth um, insight on Saturday. But yeah, I would agree that those two title matches alone are going to make this event and they're going to be the ones to keep an eye on for. Yeah. So why don't we top this all off? We will start in the buy in, which is easily one of the matches that I'm already, you know, most excited for because it could steal the show right off the bat. And that is. Serena Deeb, the NWA Women's World's Champion, defends against Riho in a rematch from the AEW Women's World Championship Eliminator. Oh, that's a mouthful. But uh, what are your thoughts on this one? You know, they kind of just sprung this on us. Yes, they did. Uh, this was announced uh, earlier th uh, this past Wednesday, I believe it was. And really with no sort of clear build, 
But like you said, it could very well be the match of the night based on the talent involved. Um, you know, it's important to keep in mind that this is going to be Rio's first um, AEW match since March 10th. For those who don't remember, her last match took place on the first episode of AEW Dark Elevation, where she took on Maki Ito, which is weird to me that she hasn't been used since then. You know, it's not like she's just some some scrub that they've kind of uh, cast by the wayside. She was their first women's world champion. So it's it it's a little confusing to me as to why she's been um, sort of absent, but it is good to see her back. Uh, Serena Deep also, I think that she's done very well since coming to AEW, as well as being the current NWA World Women's Champion. Um, you look at the, sort of the body of work that she's been doing in AEW, such as the um, the match she had against Red Velvet earlier this month, which is which I thought was probably one of the best matches that I've seen on TV this year from a women's division standpoint. And I gotta give AEW credit. It's not entirely thrown together this match because it's very much like a rematch of their women's world title eliminator tournament match that you brought up before. Um, Riho uh, defeated Deep in the first round. Now, granted, the title wasn't on the line, but coming out of that match, I wondered if maybe Riho could be a contender for the title. And now we find ourselves at this point. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, you make the great point that this isn't sprung on us, but it is. Like, they didn't bring this up. We didn't think Riho was going to be anywhere close to the show, considering every photo she had been posting on social media was her in Japan as of uh, as of late. So that that played into it. But also, you know, you brought up how Riho was able to defeat Deeb in the first round, which is very important because, you know, that win instantly makes you a champion. I appreciate AEW going out of their way to make that win mean something here. I think while, yes, I would have loved the build between these two, let's let's be serious here. Serena Deeb only returned to action two weeks ago, and Riho was in Japan. So it was kind of out of their hand. If Riho, you know, went out of her way to go home, which is fine, then it was tough for them to build because, of course, they could have started the build with Deeb injured because she was nearing her return. But, you know, it's it's tough to build up a match when both uh, participants are either injured or not in the country for the better part of the last few months. Now, you brought up the Deeb-Red Velvet match. I think that, like you said, is one of the better women's matches I've seen on TV all year as well. Uh, I think... Deeb looked like an absolute star. She was kind of playing a heelish uh, role in that match, which I thought fit her very well, fits her style very well as this, uh, you know, mat-based grappler. And I'm really intrigued to see how that works with Riho, who, you know, as we've seen, whether it be her time in AEW or Stardom or Gato Move or wherever you've seen Riho, She's, you know, very good at the high-speed style type of match. 
So it's going to be really good mix of styles here. And of course, we've already seen a preview. But with this being a title match, the opening match of a show with full capacity, they can bring the house down. And I'm really excited for that. Yeah, same here. And it's very fitting that you say bring the house down because I feel like that's what Deep's been doing on AEW programming ever since she came on. You know, she's just been having these really high quality matches, just putting on banger after banger on TV as well as YouTube. And it's been great to see her kind of hold things down as the NWA World Women's Champion, which is, I guess, funny is not, not really the word, but um, interesting when you look at NWA programming now. I don't know how many of your listeners are keep up with the NWA, but recently Thunder Rosa, who was the former champion, um, is involved in a feud with Camille, who is the number one contender to Deep's title. And recently uh, they had a match where the stipulation was if Rosa lost to Camille, Rosa could only work for the National Wrestling Alliance. She couldn't do um, anything for AEW or any other company that you could think of. She could only stick to the NWA, which to me, as a viewer, it's it's a really confusing stipulation, especially when the match actually happened and it ended in a no contest. And (laughs) it is the weirdest thing I've seen in a long time as far as like women's wrestling is concerned. And I don't think that should be the case. Meanwhile, you have Serena having these great matches on AEW. So it's a very unique contrast, I feel like. Let me ask you, has Deep been on power since power came back? Uh, no, no. She's been, she, she's done uh, a match or two on that UWN primetime live show, which a bunch of NWA stars were on. And that's where she actually won the title from Thunder Rosa. Um, as far as NWA power is concerned, uh, she hasn't made an appearance. She hasn't wrestled there, which is, you know, obviously it's very confusing because when you want your champion on the programming, but you know, that's, I don't know, maybe that's the least of the problems at, at hand here. Fair point. Fair point. Uh, so I guess we should probably get to, you know, predicting the match at hand considering this is only the buy-in and we're about 30 minutes in already. That's, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, sorry. that's, a, that's a credit on us. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you, who are you picking? Serena Deeba Riho to walk out as the NWA Women's World Champion. I'm going to go with Deeb on this one. I don't see her losing the title as much as I love Riho, and this could very well be my bias because Riho is an Emi Sakura protege. Um, I'm going to go with Deeb on this one. Yeah, yeah, I'm going with Deeb as well. Uh, I think especially with Camille set to be the next challenger. I think that it has to be the match, David Camille. And what I wonder is what's next for Riho? Because as we were talking about, she wasn't on television for, you know, two months. And she's come right back to a title match that she's likely going to lose. So it's a matter of what do they do? Because, you know, it's been a proven fact that when she's on AEW television, people watch. Like, there is, you know, proof in that. And I think it would be wrong to have her just send off TV. I, what I would do is start getting her a winning streak. 
maybe set up uh, whether it be Sheeta or Baker for All Out. I think that would be a good match, having Riho challenge at All Out um, in August. You know, I have to agree. I think that would be the best course of action. Just have, you know, Riho slowly build her way back up to the world title scene. And I wouldn't mind seeing her take on either Sheeta or Baker because I don't know if Riho necessarily gets the credit that she should for being as good of a wrestler as she is. And I do believe that if you put her up against either one of them coming out of double or nothing, you're going to have a quality match. Yeah, and if if Baker were to win, Riho would definitely be a contender that you'd utilize to, you know, help bolster that reign. But I think that works for Sheeta too, because uh, there really isn't a bigger match besides the one that's happening on the show and Sheeta versus Riho. So I welcome either one. I wonder where they'll go. But for now, why don't we move on to the Hangman Page versus Brian Cage match. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, absolutely. So Hangman Page, I feel as though he's been kind of in limbo from a booking standpoint. Um, as much as I love the stuff he's been doing with the Dark Order, I like their dynamic. I always get a kick out of seeing Paige interact with, uh, you know, Evil Uno or Silver or anybody else. It, it, it always results in some funny antics, but you also can tell there's friendship there. So it's not just entirely uh, comedy. There is a lot of heart there. But as far as... Um, you know, where he is in AEW from a ranking standpoint, it's a little tougher to tell. And I want to believe that by this year's end, he's going to be the world champion. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I have to imagine that by the end of the year, he'll at least be in the world title picture. On the other hand, you have Brian Cage, who uh, I don't... It's It's tough because I feel like he hasn't really been on a winning end of things, especially coming out of the Sting and Darby Allen feud that Team Taz has had with them. It's it's weird to me because I feel like either man can come into this match and win, and they would need it, and I don't know what another loss would do. Yeah, we're in a situation here where it's really a... Uh... Almost a lose-lose because, like you said, Paige is definitely still in need of, you know, big wins on these pay-per-views. His last pay-per-view match was against Matt Hardy, and personally, I didn't think that did too much for him. Now, he takes on Brian Cage, and like you said as well, Brian Cage doesn't have any, you know, huge signature wins. And it's been officially one year for Brian Cage in AEW, and... Besides that casino ladder match where he grabbed the ring and got a number one contendership, I can't really name any other big wins for him. I guess, you know, the one over Hangman to set this match up, but he had Team Taz attack Paige before then, so I don't even know if that did a lot for him. So it's a sense to me of where are you trying to go with this? Because I will say one critique I've had with AEW over the past year especially is the way they've handled these kind of like uh, 
monster heels. And I think Cage, maybe even more than the likes of a Lance Archer, has suffered the most because, yeah, he's like the head guy in Team Taz. But when you think back at the last year, what big win does he have? He spent the last, you know, five months feuding with Sting and Darby Allen, and Darby Allen beat him. And then Team Taz lost to Sting and Darby in that um, cinematic match. So I don't really know where to go here. And I guess that's intrigue in itself because, truth be told, I think this can be a really good match. But I, I just don't know who comes out of this and what happens to the loser, most of all. That's the big problem. And I do agree with you in the sense that AEW has a problem when it comes to booking these monster heels. And we'll get into that a little bit more, I'm sure, when we talk about Miro and Lance Archer's match. But with Brian Cage, I can also agree that he's suffered probably the most out of everybody. And that shouldn't really be the case because I think that not only is he one of the more uh, believable big men in wrestling, but I could see him turning face. I could see out of anybody in Team Taz right now, he seems to be the one who's most likely to go his own way, whether it's, you know, as a result of Team Taz turning on him or him just voluntarily saying, look, I need to do my own thing, no hard feelings, whatever the case may be. I feel like he's the type of wrestler that you'd want to protect for the long term. You could say the same thing about Hangman Page as well. Obviously, he's very popular, but I don't know if a loss hurts him as much as it would Cage because... I think with the right booking, Paige will eventually get back to where he needs to be because he has that everyman quality about him. Everybody can see themselves in Paige to some extent or another. And I think that's why people gravitate toward him the way that they do. Cage doesn't have that same sort of relatability, which is why I feel he needs the big win here. Are you saying the jacked, humongous man that holds an orange belt doesn't have relatability? Right? I mean, I don't know how many of those you see walking around Target or Walmart or whatever they have where you live. But regardless, um, there there is something to be said about, you know, needing to make these big monster heels or big monster wrestlers in general believable. Yep, I'm with you there. And I think you you were on to something there. You know, if Paige loses, I think they can book him to the point down the line where he gets back to that number one contender spot. And I kind of believed after he lost the uh, eliminated tournament final to Kenny Omega that maybe the best course of action for him would have been kind of like this odd losing streak where he just couldn't get these big wins, which is really what his whole thing is now. You know, he had the title match against Jericho, lost that. Uh, He ended up losing his tag team titles, and then he lost to Omega with the chance for the title. So when it comes to big matches, Hangman's having a tough time, and... 
there's a story there with him and Kenny that they're going to eventually get to. So, you know what? I'm with you. I will start off the predictions here, and I'm going to pick Brian Cage to pick up the win here. Yeah, or two for two, buddy. I'm going to go with Cage also. How about that? All right. Well, that's that. <laughs> Let's move on to the uh, next match where we have Sting and Darby Allen versus Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. And the uh, touch to this match is that this will be Sting's first live in-person match since he was forced to retire following his WWE Championship match with Seth Rollins, which feels like forever ago. So, let me ask you, how do you feel about this one? Um, I would say mixed, for lack of a better term. Uh, for those who don't know, um, I am a bit of a sting mark. I, I, I love the guy. Um, when I started watching wrestling back in the late 90s, he was the first wrestler that I attached to because he because I just love the aura about him. I loved the way that he descended from the rafters. I love the the black and white face paint. I was super into uh, Warner Brothers Batman animated series. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but I was super into that cartoon when I was a kid. And Sting captured that essence to me so well. Been a big fan of his ever since. And the thing is that even though I'm a big fan, I can see that he is older. You know, his body has quite a number of miles on it. And as as exciting as the prospect of seeing Sting compete in a traditional wrestling match again, I do have my concerns, especially given the injury that you mentioned before. I'm not too sure if we're going to see much more of Sting, Sting outside of him kind of standing on the apron, Darby Allen doing most of the work, doing a lot of the heavy lifting, the selling, and then him crawling back and making the hot tag to Sting, who does his spots as well. So as a fan and as a as a mark, I should say, of Sting, I'm I'm down for it. Like I wanna see it. As a fan with a more critical eye, I'm I'm taking a more of a wait and see approach. This is one of those matches on this card that I'm not like jumping for joy when it comes to it. And I don't think that has to do with Sting or Darby. It's more with Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. And that's not to slight them in any sense. I just, to me, this story hasn't really connected with me. Um, like, there's a story here that Ethan Page wants to essentially end Darby Allen's career. That's wild. Like, this could have been a TNT title match. That could have been the feud here. But they've changed it to make it a tag, which to me has just kind of been a weird move. Now, you brought up your Sting fandom. I always say, had I been around to watch WCW, Sting would have also been my guy. Like, I see Sting highlights eh, probably at least once a week. I just feel like they pop up. And in his heyday, he was one of the coolest around. Now, I love the prospects of him getting that hot tag on Sunday. Like, that is really exciting to me. It's probably really exciting to you because, like you said, Sting, despite his age, has still got something in him, I believe. Now, I am worried about 
particular bumps that may happen and where they go with this. So that being said, I'm actually going to pick Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page to take the win here. Scotty, we are three and three because I also believe that Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page are going to get the win here. And I believe the main reason for this is because they formed this this team in March, and since then they haven't really done much of note. I mean, you've seen Sky and Page in the crowd, or rather, not really the crowd, but the seats in attendance in on Dynamite. You know, you see them kind of talking with one another. But other other than that, they really haven't done a whole lot, which is strange to me because when Sky broke away from SCU and Page debuted as well as a single star, you would think that they'd go about their own separate endeavors and, you know, climb the rankings, but it just seems like they're back to square one as far as tag team wrestling is concerned. And if the goal is to, uh, you know, build them as a tag team moving forward, which it seems to be the case, you want them to get a big win, and I can't see a win bigger than this one. Yeah, particularly to me, I would have Ethan Page pin Darby Allen. I think that's really the story that I'm most intrigued by in this match. And like you said, they haven't done too much of note. They've just kind of been together on TV, sitting in the chairs at Daly's place. And I don't think, you know, beating Darby Allen hurts him. I don't. I never... I never thought a guy like Darby Allen needs to necessarily win all the time. And I don't really know if you're going to have Darby and Sting win again against the two, uh, these two guys. So I think, yeah, we're definitely on the same page here. And who knows? Maybe this match surprises me. Maybe this match ends up delivering, but we will certainly see. But next up, which has become a favorite of mine, is... Their casino-styled match for this show, which will be the Casino Battle Royale. And here are the list of participants before I let you uh, jump in. So we got Christian Cage, Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, Penta El Cerro Miedo, Jungle Boy, Matt Hardy, Mark Quinn, Isaiah Cassidy, The Blade, Evil Uno, Colt Cabana, Preston Vance, Griff Garrison, Brian Pillman Jr., Max Caster, Anthony Bowens, QT Marshall, Nick Komaroto, Dustin Rhodes, Lee Johnson, and to be announced. So I um, don't know if that's just one spot left or a few, but definitely expecting a surprise or two for this match. Robbie, how are you thinking? Um, how have you liked the casino matches in the past? Well, I'll say this for a fact. I love Battle Royal-style matches. Probably my favorite pay-per-view in wrestling in general is the Royal Rumble, just because there is that sense of wonder and intrigue, the the suspense of seeing your favorite wrestler about to get eliminated and you desperately wanting to see them hang in there and wondering who's going to come out next. Is it going to be... Um, is it going to be someone making their return? Is it going to be a legend making an appearance? It's, there are so many different elements to a battle royal match. And I feel like AEW stumbled upon a neat formula with this casino battle royale. 
And it doesn't look like this is going to be any exception to the rule. And, you know, you listed off the competitors involved and you have a solid lineup of people who, you know, if you look at everything from an, from a storyline perspective, anyone could take it away. And it's, I'm not going to make the, the assumption or the proclamation rather that battle Royals are technical masterpieces. They're not really supposed to be. There are more of these exciting uh, showcases. And I definitely am looking forward to this one. Uh, probably the most just from like an avid fan standpoint. So, you know, I'm with you with Royal Rumble being also my favorite pay-per-view. I do love the battle royal mindset. But I, I like how they have the waves in this match. I always like that. So they start off with two and then they have, I believe it's three waves of people and then the Joker card. Mm-hmm. And the Joker card's always a fun one. Now, I did want to talk about a couple competitors in here. Um, starting off with Christian Cage, I feel like this is a really interesting spot for him because he was the big signing when AEW Revolution was coming around. He was hyped up, hyped up, hyped up. And to me, he hasn't really done much. So, you know, what's your thoughts on him just kind of being placed into a battle royal, which is kind of funny considering his first match back in years was the Royal Rumble this year. Yeah, there's that bit of irony there. I'm glad you picked up on that, bro. Um, As far as Christian in this match is concerned, it's definitely an interesting choice. I feel like there's a reason why he is in this lineup. And I will agree that he hasn't really done a whole lot from a storyline perspective, even though he's had some great matches on Dynamite. Like the match he had with Kazarian, I thought was very good. It's, you know, obviously he's a great wrestler. There's no denying that. But as somebody who is a longtime fan of his as a tag team wrestler and a singles wrestler, you want to see better for him. And I'd like to think that this is going to be his night. I'd like to think that he's going to be the one to come out of this, the winner. But right now, you got a couple of choice candidates, I feel like. Yeah, he's got to be the smart money uh, winner of sorts for sure. I just, you know, I read off the lineup and considering this is for a world title shot, it to me, out of the announced uh, the announced names, there's only really two that I'm interested in uh, to face Kenny, which I'm, I'm okay, I kind of gave that away. I'm assuming Kenny does retain, but we'll get to that <laughs> later. Uh, so to me, it's Right now, based off this, it's either Christian or Penta El Zero Miedo. And Pentagon is a guy that, you know, you and me have talked about multiple times, whether it be in our uh, last word chat or just elsewhere, that, you know, we absolutely love. Because whether it's his time in Lucha Underground or part of the Lucha Brothers with Phoenix, by the way, very upset Phoenix is not in this match, seeing he is injured. Uh, big Phoenix fan. Uh, but I think, you know, the Penta says stuff is absolutely phenomenal. And if you have him win earlier in the night, you add some intrigue to the main event 
if Pac were to win the AEW world title. So what's your thoughts on that? You know, I didn't think about that, but now that you are putting that idea into my mind, I'm liking it more and more. Um, it, you know, whether whether Kenny Omega wins the title at the end of the night remains to be seen, but, you know, in a different reality where, you know, Pac comes up uh, successful in the main event and you have Penta winning this battle royal, that could make for a very interesting feud moving forward. And it could end up producing some very choice matches of 2021. Yep. Or, you know, Penta and Kenny could also, you know, steal the show. That would never be a bad thing either. Now, I will ask you before we make our official picks for winners, there's going to be a surprise here. And considering yep. their relationship with Impact Wrestling, considering their relationship with AAA, uh, their seemingly open relationship with New Japan, plus the idea that Tony Khan has said that there could be more people signing. They've also been willing to bring in indie stars. This could legitimately be anyone. So who are you thinking here? Who do I think is going to be the joker of this year's Casino Battle Royale at Double or Nothing? These are always very interesting because you, you, like you said, you never really know who's going to show up. But if I were to make a prediction as to who the Joker is in this match, and I might be going off on a bit of a limb here, but I'm going to say Nick Gage. Now, here's, here's my rationale for it. Last year, he was supposed to make his debut for the company at All Out in that event's Casino Battle Royale. However, he sustained an injury, couldn't make it, and that spot would ultimately go to Matt Seidel, who's now a full-time AEW guy. I would love to see Nick Gage go in there, you know, just just full of piss and vinegar, going in there, just laying people out. I, I don't know if he'd be able to use the same sort of weaponry that he's become synonymous with, like kendo sticks and pizza cutters and all this bullshit. But I think that you can see Nick Gage being that big surprise you know, a postponed surprise to be sure, but if surprised nonetheless, and him going in there and just getting the crowd riled up. You know, with his dark side of the ring recently uh, being shown to the world and the never ending growing popularity of Nick Gage with the part that you added that he was scheduled to be in it last time. You are probably on to something. You're probably going to be right. But in the purpose of being interesting, I will pick someone else. Now, hear me out here. I think the Joker, or the big surprise, whether it's Joker or not, probably has to be the Joker, will be Rich Swan of Impact Wrestling. Because the idea that Rich Swan can enter this battle royal and get a match for the AEW Championship, possibly against Kenny Omega, the man that took the Impact World Championship from him, is very intriguing. And we've seen the Impact relationship really only be on Impact Television. Now, yes, the Good Brothers are on AEW every single week, but to me... There's so much more talent in Impact that can be uh, integral in this type of 
atmosphere. And I think Rich Swan could be the guy to not only be the Joker, but win the match and kind of, you know, possibly stun Kenny Omega if Kenny is able to defend later in the night. So I'm picking Rich Swan to be my surprise of the night. See, that's an idea. And as much as I'm still leaning toward my gauge prediction, I could see Swan as a potential Joker candidate. Because like you said, um, there hasn't been a whole lot in the way of impact representation on, on AEW programming outside of Good Brothers. There hasn't been Deanna Perrazzo or Moose or Willie Mack, Rich Swan. No, nobody. It's just been the Good Brothers and Don Callis. But even he's gone from impact now as an executive so if it's not nick gage and it ends up being rich swan i wouldn't be too surprised and i wouldn't be too uh, upset about it yeah my dream choice would be diana peraza but that's not happening so i went with rich swan that being said who do you pick as the winner of the double or nothing casino battle royale this year I'm going to go with Christian Cage for this one. Um, he had his, his encounter with Kenny Omega this past March in Christian Cage's first AEW appearance, no less. You know, they had a bit of a standoff. Uh, Cage almost hit the kill switch on Omega. Callus had to pull Omega out. Christian kind of stared at the title, the, the crowd. It, it planted the seeds for what could very well be a, a, a multi-month program moving forward. So I'm going to go with Christian Cage. That's that's four for four, Robbie. We're both picking Christian Cage. And I would love, 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 love if Pentagon could win this match. But I feel like when you put a name in like Christian Cage, you gotta believe he's gonna be the uh he's gonna be the one to win this whole thing. It just seems right. You gotta give him that big win. And this could be a match that happens at the uh annual Fighter Fest event or uh, Fight for the Fallen, which we did see return last year, so I'm guessing they both return this year. Those could both be the marquee matches for AEW this year. Uh, but yeah, that Christian Cage just makes the most sense. I'm with you there. Now let's move on to Stadium Stampede, the big stadium match returns again this year. Um, I have no idea if it's main eventing or not. I'm really hoping it's not because I just think there are two other matches far more worthy of being in the main event spot. No offense to them. But it will pit the pinnacle against the inner circle. And the caveat is if the inner circle loses, they must break up forever. How do you feel about Stadium Stampede coming back this year? I personally like the stadium stampede format. I understand that it's not everybody's cup of tea, but as somebody who's grown to love these sort of cinematic style matches where a lot of the elements are pre-recorded, I've enjoyed what I've been seeing of this match type. And I believe this year um, there's supposed to be a bit of a live element, given the fact that we have a more traditional crowd in attendance. I don't know what exactly that's going to entail, but I'm sure from a viewing experience, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I, I, the, my, my problem with it this year is that, you know, you have this full capacity crowd. Are they going to allow 
people to go over the stadium? Because I don't think that's the case. So I'm wondering, do they have to place this match in the main event? Because you don't want to make the crowd watch on the screen the whole time. So it's, that's mostly my problem. It's not that I think this match shouldn't happen. I love the stadium stampede from last year. I thought it was maybe the best cinematic match outside of, um, you know, a few that WWE did maybe, but definitely the best that AEW did. And I'm just wondering, you know, where do we go here? Now, when we get to the actual match itself, who do you think's winning? I feel like this is the match for the Pinnacle to win. Main reason being is that they are simply put the newer faction in AEW. There isn't, um, there isn't much for them to gain if they lose. If anything, it might very well hurt them. So I could see them winning, even though they had won the blood and guts match there's no guideline that says that the other team has to win the rematch of sorts so i see the pinnacle winning here and i don't think it's a bad thing that the inner circle breaks up because they've been together since october 2019 you know that's a long time for a faction to be you know together and i feel like now given the fact that they you know, they've, they've done pretty much everything that they could do as a team in AEW. It's probably the best time for them to break up. And when you look at the lineup of people in that group, it's not like they're going to be worse off as a result. Like someone like Jericho, he's the legend of the company, basically active legend who still is able to go at a relatively high level. He's always going to be able to do stuff, whether it's wrestling, uh, commentating. He's always going to be part of it. Sammy Guevara is the up-and-coming star. I see him being one of those guys that helps build the company in the future. I could see, you know, very much in the same vein as MJF or Darby Allen or Jungle Boy. You know, he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be pushing that company forward for the next decade plus. Santana and Ortiz easily one of the best tag teams that company has right now. And the fact that they have not held the world tag team titles even once at this point is criminal. They deserve that spot and breaking away from the inner circle may help them get to that point. Jake Hager is, he's a tougher one because I don't know if his potential is as great as his teammates, but if, if a heel needs a good heater or a bodyguard type, you can stick him in there and he'll do fine. Everybody in that group's going to be okay if the inner circle breaks up, which I believe is going to happen at double or nothing. Yeah, and I don't think I'd lose sleep if uh, Jake Hager wasn't okay afterwards. Uh, but besides <laughs> that, <laughs> I think he's the one guy that I've been, oh, oh, he doesn't have much to do. Oh, oh well. But, you know, <laughs> Leading up to this, I was pretty. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna get like an email from 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 AEW officials being like, "Oh, so we heard what you said on your podcast, you son of a bitch." That's fine. They don't let me on the conference call, anyways. Uh, <laughs> but, anyways, I was pretty fifty fifty heading into this very conversation on who would win this match because, you know, I've watched WWE for way too long, 
And I'm so used to, you know, this 50-50 booking where, oh, one group gets the big win and then they have this big odds against them the second time and then they win and stay together or what so be it. I'm with you here, though. I think not only does the Pinnacle win, but the inner circle not only breaks up, I think Jericho goes away for a while. I think they you know, try to redo something that sends him out for a reasonable time, essentially like I think the Blood and Guts match was supposed to do. Um, I think Guevara could go on to feud with MJF all alone. And I'm hopeful that Santana and Ortiz can break off into tag team success because, like you said, it's kind of ridiculous that they haven't been able to do that yet because, to me, they're – one of the top three teams in all of AEW right now, maybe top two, depending on how you feel about the Young Bucks. Now, I'm definitely going to pick the pinnacle as well. We're going five for five, going strong here, Robbie. And now we get to go on to the match. Do you know what the match is, Robbie? Oh, Jesus Christ. (sighs) Here's my promoter voice. United States versus the world. Cody Rhodes goes against Anthony Agogo. This is Anthony Agogo's first ever pay-per-view match. Just his third overall, I believe. And as we've learned, this won't just be Cody Rhodes. No, 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 no. This will be the American dream, Cody Rhodes. So... You know, before you even put a word in, let me just say, have they done the promo differently to get to the American dream part? This could have been far simpler. People could have loved this all up besides Russell Joy. And yes, I had to put that jab in there. Yeah, and <laughs> and you know. This is a match I'm actually excited for strictly because of the social media aspect more than anything. But also, I think a go-go could become a star in one match. Okay, so Cody Rhodes versus Anthony Agogo. Really, Scotty? You're really going to make me do this? Hey, man, like, it's a match on the card. This is what you signed up for. And I didn't think we were going to have a a specific time where it was America against the United Kingdom or England as a whole, but here we are. Yep. Okay, so Cody's promo that he cut on May 12th, you all know the one. If you've been watching AEW or you've been on YouTube or Twitter, you've seen it. Scotty, I'm going to be real with you. This was, without hyperbole, one of the worst promos I've seen. And it wasn't a bad promo because Cody fumbled some words or he wasn't speaking with confidence. It, it had nothing to do with that. It felt like he was trying to make a point to get to his American dream part, which would have been fine, but it just seemed like he got lost or he made an unnecessary detour to get to the point. You know what it feels like? Like, have you ever made a road trip and you open up your GPS app and you put in the destination? And the GPS just takes you in a completely different route than you wanted to go. Like you're doing just, you're going through all these hoops to get to where you need to be. You're making these unnecessary merges and you're 
you're like making a turn it's like three lanes of traffic and shit like have you ever been in that position kind of yeah definitely i mean it wasn't always a road trip but that has happened with the gps many a time that's what this promo felt like to me it felt like to me that cody was just he he knew his destination for the most part but he just went off the beaten path to such a degree that it resulted in one of the worst promos i've heard and another thing I am so tired of these sort of nationalistic promos like, you know, rah, rah, USA or long live, insert country here. They are so freaking tired and so passe to me. These might have been fine in like the late 80s or hell, I'll even give you the mid 90s. But if we're in the year 2021, they are completely and utterly tone deaf, especially considering the fact that you have many people in the United States that are utterly jaded by America. And also, let's talk about this. Of all the, the feuds that you could, you could put between countries, why the United States versus the United Kingdom? Because the US hasn't, <laughs> the US hasn't been at war with Britain since 1812, bro. Like, this is, it's not even like you're going up against, like, Soviet Russia, for example, like, during the the Hulkamania era. No, like, this is U.S. versus the U.K. in 2021. There's really no feud here, man. It's just, it's just putting a national spin on it just for the sake of doing so. And you got Cody going into, like, race relations about how he's going to have a black baby and doing, like, human rights issues. And everything's coming off so mishandled here. It almost comes off to me like Cody is less of like this valiant hero wanting to defend the honor of his family and more of like a privileged, out-of-touch, narcissistic asshole. Meanwhile, you have people online mostly memeing the promo because make no mistake about it, this is a very meme-worthy promo. Meanwhile, you have Brandy Rose going on Twitter and calling it a piece of history and how she can't wait until her daughter's old enough to understand it. Scotty, you cannot make this up. This is beyond human recognition. And I am sitting here as a fan holding my my hands in front of my mouth just going like, what? How is nobody else? And thankfully, other people were memeing on the promo hardcore, which at least brought me some sort of comfort in all this situation. And going back and rewatching the promo on YouTube, the, 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 the comments on that, YouTube video are choice, man. <laughs> There's one in particular that I really love, and I think it's very uh, uh, a telling. If Cody's neck tattoo could talk, it would cut this exact promo. <laughs> I don't think we can go much further. And also, going back to the whole nationalistic side of the promo, people are... And the fact that you're cutting this sort of, like, super patriotic promo in 2021 despite the fact that the year prior our country had basically bungled the worst pandemic we've seen in God knows how long, resulting in several people losing their jobs, having their hours cut, countless numbers in deaths. Are you really going to cut a promo like this during this period? Like, Scotty, didn't this feud begin because QT Marshall turned on the Nightmare family and took three of the younger stars with him? Wasn't that the genesis of this feud? Yes, that it, that was the um, 
original part of this feud. It was uh, between Cody and QT. Both American, by the way. Not that yeah. that should matter, but just wanted to point that out. What and, the fuck, dude? <laughs> and I, I did want to, you know, add to your. Uh, um, I'm not going to call it a rant. I'm going to call it a reasonable, um, a reasonable outburst because I think what you, <laughs> what, what you stated here was very important, and I think it's a lot of what people have been thinking. And here's a thought that I personally had when watching this promo. Cody has, in the past to me, always been a pretty good promo. I don't know if you feel that way or not, but I think he's a pretty good promo overall. Uh, he's, now, the, he's very good. And, and I'm not trying to say that he's a bad promo. I'm saying that this promo he just so happened to cut was bad. That, that's, that's my point. Oh, it sure was. And to me, I think the magic of some of his promos in the past, like I remember the promo two years ago, I believe, when he, you know, I think he was getting ready to fight Jericho. And it was like, it ended with, I went from undesirable to undeniable. Like, I thought that was a good promo. And the magic in, or when I say magic, use that term very loosely, uh, has always been the family ties that he's used. And specifically, that has always been to Dusty. And the goal here was to be known as the American Dream, which, that's great. That's, that's awesome. But none of the promo gave me the idea that, oh, this is all going to end up being the American Dream. No, this ended up being about way, way too much that just doesn't belong in professional wrestling. And what I wish happened with all of this was that Cody just talked about how he was a son of a son of a plumber. Like that would have been so much easier to get to the American dream. But no, 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 no. Like you said, we had to talk about how he's having a, um, african-american child with brandy and how brandy called it the greatest part of history and of all time and you know here this and that this and that like there was just so much extra to this and perhaps my favorite part of this feud is that everything anthony agogo has said or has tweeted since this moment has made him an ultimate baby face that's my favorite part of this entire thing it has, and that's that's the big part of it. I mean, if you were watching this as like just a casual fan who really didn't know much about wrestling, and you looked at the information in front of you, you would see Cody as just this just this tyrannical jackass, while Anthony Agogo looks like the prevailing underdog. Especially when you consider Agogo's past. You know, when he was when he was doing combat sports, when he was boxing back in the day, he lost part of his vision. And, you know, that alone makes him pretty, makes him a bit of an underdog when you think about it. And now he's going into this match, you know, we've just heard today with a legitimate broken rib. You know, like he's, he's at that much more of a handicap now that he's going into this match. Yep. And here is my pitch for this match. I want you to, Hear my side. This is something I've crafted up over the past couple days. 
uh, considering all the promos, the fact that Agogo is already injured, um, his his ability to already cut promos has been interesting as well. I believe you know Agogo has shown whether it was on elevation or on television. He's also got the gift of gab, and he cuts promos that feel real, which I enjoy. I would pitch this match as a double turn. I would have Cody, you know, the guy who's going to be desperate to avoid that um, right punch by a go-go, to kind of, you know, cheat a little bit. And with the rib being injured, you can use that easily, you know, having Cody attack that in some sort of way. But there's this beautiful move in pro wrestling that is always good for a heel turn. I don't know if you've heard of it. You probably have. The low blow is a beautiful, beautiful move for these types of things. And while Agogo, yeah, he would benefit from a big win here, I think he could benefit even more from a heel turn by Cody where Cody cheats to win pulling off a double turn that would benefit Ogogo long-term because fans would be behind him, and you would have Cody, who I think is a better heel than Babyface in the end. So here's what I'm pitching, and here's where I think this should go. If they don't do the double turn, Ogogo's winning. But if they do, listen to me, which they should, I think Cody not only wins this, but you create a major baby face in a go-go moving forward, a major baby face that perhaps could become TNT champion by defeating the likes of a Miro or someone down the line. So what say you, Robbie, what, what do you think of that thought? Huh? Uh, I think I've cooled down a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, let's uh, yeah. Let's assume that the, um, the double turn happens and I'm all in favor of the double turn. My favorite match of all time is Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, their submission match, which also featured a double turn. The best example of a double turn, by the way, when it's done well, it can tell a great story and change the trajectory of rest, the trajectory of wrestling in a big way. Now, the idea of Cody turning heel, I don't mind it. In fact, I think it'd be a good move. But the thing is, is that I've been hearing ever since 2019, like, oh, it's going to be a slow heel turn. For, it's going to be a slow burn toward the heel turn. We're in 2021, and it doesn't seem like we're any closer to that point now than we were back in 2019. It's, I, I just, I have my doubts. I wouldn't mind it. One thing, you cut an America versus the world promo in 2021, you can instantly elevate that heel turn nowadays i would think so and look if that's the if that's the the end goal that cody becomes this villainous heel like he was before he had come to aew when he was doing his stuff in ring of honor in new japan he was a heel and did very well during that period go for it and i think that i'll even forgive this bullshit promo if they end up doing that (laughs) um but i don't know if it's gonna happen and Originally, I did have a go-go poised to win the match, but I feel like now with the broken rib and the idea of him taking time off to heal up, um, it's probably better to give Cody the win. So I'm going to pick him. So that's kind of six out of six because I'm fully believing that I'm going to somehow be right and they pull off the double turn, which if a go-go has to take time off, 
I think that's the best way to have him lose because, you know, you want a go-go to look strong. That's clear is what they want to do because this guy is clearly a star in the making. Um, and his time in wrestling is probably not going to be prolonged due to the blindness in his eye. So to me, eh, you never know. Maybe a double turn happens. Maybe it doesn't. But this match will be maybe the most talked about match no matter what come the end of Sunday. Now let's get on to the gold. We got four championship matches here on the main card. And I would like to say this might be the four strongest championship matches AEW has had yet on a single show. Now, I may be wrong in thinking that they've had them all defended. I think the only other time they've had them all defended was last year at Double or Nothing when the TNT Championship was officially crowned to Cody. (laughs) Funny that happened. And (laughs) we're going to start with the TNT Championship, which I think could be a show stealer and a match that I don't think a lot of people understand could be one of the more impressive ones. And the way they book this will be very interesting. So we have the TNT champion Miro, formerly known as Rusev for people who may not know. If you don't know that by now, then I I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but that's besides the point. And he is facing Lance Archer, a guy I am very fond of, and this match could be the ultimate Haas fight. So what are your thoughts on this one? Ultimate Haas fight is very much right, and thank you very much for shifting gears into this title picture because I think if we focused way too much on the Cody Ogoga match, a vein would have burst in my eye or something, so so thank you for that. Um, But (laughs) as far as this TNT title match is concerned, I am... Very excited because first off, I, I've I'm a big Lance Archer fan. I've been a big fan of his since that run he had in New Japan. Like the G1, I think really caught people's eyes and told them that hey, this you know this is somebody to keep an eye on. Like you know he's been pretty good, but now he's at a different level now, and he's you know he's in his forties. He's you know, closer to the end of his career than the beginning of it. But he has a lot to offer, I feel like, especially since he's working alongside Jake Roberts, who, for my money at least, is one of the top five promos in wrestling in general. Meanwhile, you have Miro, who has finally come into his own as this brutal monster. I think that the partnership with Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford was... A bit of a stopgap, um, a confusing one at times, but what I like to call it is trash. Yeah, you see, after the Cody Gogo, I was trying to be a little nicer, but then you brought then you dropped the trash line. So <laughs> thank you. Um, but no, uh, seriously, I am looking forward to this match quite a bit. And if there's any sort of truth in wrestling that is very consistent, it's that you rarely can go wrong with a good Hoss fight. Yeah, it's something that, you know, we recently saw at WWE Backlash, believe it or not. I thought Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, and Braun Strowman had a great Haas fight. And I think this one's going to be very different in a sense that these, you know, these two guys can't lose, you know? Like, Lance Archer's in a very, very interesting spot because 
I feel like we've seen him lose way too many big matches personally. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I'm with you there. Like ever since his G1 run where he like absolutely destroyed Will Ospreay and uh, a few others, like I've been very much on his thing. He had a great match with John Moxley at Wrestle Kingdom once upon a time. And he's just been putting in the work of his life. And the idea of his match with Miro is so interesting to me. Because, like you said, Miro is in a spot where he's finally found who he's supposed to be, which is this killer. How do you book a match that has a man that's just found himself and another guy who needs a big win. It's a lot like the Hangman Page versus Brian Cage match, but I think it's even more difficult because I don't know how you have either man lose unless there is outside interference or we end up in some sort of draw. So let me ask you, who do you have winning this match and how? That's the catch-22, isn't it? You have two guys who can't who can ill afford a, a loss here and especially in the case of lance archer i mean when you consider the big matches he's been in and has fallen short uh in winning he lost the in the tnt title tournament finals to cody last year he lost the AEW world title match to moxley in the same year he lost multiple tnt title number one contender matches i love lance archer as a wrestler as a character but at the same time, with all of these huge losses, you you run the risk of him developing this reputation for being a choke artist, someone who is able to mow down opponents one after another. But when it finally comes time to, you know, knuckle up and, you know, actually put in the work, he falls short. It's, you know, it's been his biggest weakness. And, you know, it's not even his fault because everything else he's doing has been great whether it's, you know, the matches he's been having or his banter with Jake Roberts, he's been doing well on just about every level. It's just that the results of these big matches have not worked in his favor. And meanwhile, with Miro, very early into his TNT title run, and I believe that he's going to come out victorious a double or nothing, how you end up getting to that point, it's, it's, it's difficult because... I feel I can't help but feel like AEW booked this match in a bit of a corner. I feel like the only way that you could possibly pull this off without hurting either guy is for them to is to like absorb incredible amounts of punishment for, before the decision's made. Whether it's you know Lance Archer taking several Savat kicks, being stuck in the game over submission move, a former accolade just being stuck in that for, you know, for an obscene amount of time, Jake Roberts having no choice but to throw in the towel for him, that would be maybe not the ideal finish, but I feel like a finish like that would lessen the negative impact that either guy would have. Yeah, you know, you make a good point of, like, having him pass out or... Jake throwing in the towel is a way to protect Archer the best you possibly can. Um, I will say, I do believe Miro is walking out 
still TNT champion. I just think it would be really foolish to have him lose instantly. Um, I do wonder, do they figure out a way to go to a draw or a double countout or something like that? Because that's also a way to protect both. And you can set up another match down the line if you want, possibly. Uh, but I will say I do think Miro will win this match clean. But I definitely just wanted to add in that possibility that, you know, maybe, just maybe, there is some sort of draw or false finish. Something that isn't clean here to get Miro the win and keep Archer strong, which is really something that I would be focusing on here. But overall, as a match, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, I would agree. And I guess regardless of the outcome, it's going to be a very good match. Um, I don't know if I agree with the concept of a disqualification finish or a no contest, especially with this crowd that's going to be no doubt hot and into the action at every moment. I don't know how well they would take a, a sort of like a no contest type of result, but we'll see what happens. You know, I think if they uh, destroy each other for whatever the time limit may be, that could also work. But um, that's only if it was like 20 minutes. That being said, I'm excited for it, and we can move on. The AEW World Tag Team titles are on the line as the Young Bucks defend against the Wild Thing team of John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. This one is one that I am writing a in-depth uh, little article on for Last Word, which should be coming out either Saturday or Sunday, so definitely be on the lookout for that. See, I got my uh, cheap plug in there too, Robbie. Learned from Mick Foley the, himself. Now, let me ask you, what's your thoughts on this one? Because this is a match that I'm actually really excited for because I love the dynamic that Mox and Kingston have. And I actually think the Young Bucks heel work has been pretty solid so far. I would say that the Moxley-Kingston tag team has been one of the best surprises in wrestling of this year, which I guess shouldn't be too much of a surprise, but you have to consider just how well-received their feud was in the fall and how great they were as rivals. You wouldn't think that, you know, that they'd be great tag team partners. I mean, probably down the road, but I think them becoming a team happened sooner than most fans expected. And as a result, they had these great promos, these segments where you have Kingston stealing shoes, Moxley trying to forbade him or try to talk him out of doing it, only for him to kind of just shrug and just start stealing the other person's shoes when they're knocked out. It's funny stuff. And to me, it gives uh, Moxley something to do when he's not in the world title picture. And it allows Kingston to flex his creative muscles, his charisma, which is his biggest attribute. And I feel like it, if 2021 gave us nothing else in wrestling, it gave us this tag team, which has been one of my personal favorites. Now, again, we're in agreement, which I guess is the beauty of this, uh, you know, co-hosting we're doing here. I am wondering how this match goes down because 
there's a beauty in what Moxley and Kingston are doing together. You know, you made a good point how they went from rivals to this just wonderful tag team that's been probably the best part of Dynamite, Dynamite since Revolution. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say they're winning the tag titles here. And I think this will be a certain reign of sorts that isn't necessarily a long one. But it's one that, hey, you get this moment in front of the live crowd, which, you know, could be just such an awesome moment because Mox and Kingston are over like nobody's business. And it gives the Young Bucks something to work with. Uh, moving forward, because I think, you know, the Young Bucks, it's probably easy to say they'll be the first ever two-time AEW Tag Team Champions, because I think what you can do here is have a Moxley and Kingston win, and maybe for a month or two, they have that run, and then they switch it back to the Young Bucks, because I think on a night where you have a full-capacity crowd, and looking at how these matches are going, this is the one where you can get the biggest, um, the biggest pop for a win. Just looking at it and you know trying to get a reasonable sense of who could win here. To me, I think Mox and Kingston are walking out as winners. Which, no matter what, I think this match will be great. Yeah, and I feel like the Young Bucks have held the tag team titles longer than you might be thinking because they've held the titles for over 200 days, which is a very solid tag team title reign. But at this point, and given the popularity of Moxie and Kingston, I think it's time for them to drop the titles. And from there, you can work toward a more long-term program between the two teams. And I like the idea of Moxley and Kingston being the, the long-term tag team champions, because like I said, it keeps Moxley in the mix when he's not in the world title picture. And, you know, eventually he will work his way back up to that point. I don't think that's in doubt, but it's like with any, it's like with any wrestler, you know, you can't have them in the world title scene all the time. You know, you need to like back during like the wrestling territory days, you know, the, the top guys didn't necessarily stay on top forever. They would either, you know, leave for a little bit and get popular somewhere else and then bring them back in a matter of months, or they would stay in the same place that they were, or they would be brought down to down the card. You know, they'd go from the main event to maybe like the mid card and they would work in different feuds before slowly working their way back up to the top, which I think is going to be Moxie's case moving forward. And as far as Kingston is concerned, it's not abnormal to consider him as a world title contender down the road either. But I could see this being more of a long-term stopgap for both of them, and it's going to be one that'll be very entertaining if AEW keeps it going. Yeah, I think, like you said, both are the world title contenders, and they could easily be another match for Kenny Omega if Omega is to successfully defend, because... Really, the rivalry here has between has for the most part been between them and Kenny, but the Young Bucks have gotten in the way, and that's where we are now. So I think that's really the interesting part to me as well, because this all started with Omega, and Omega's kind of snuck his way out of it for now, 
and put the young bucks up for it. So we'll we'll definitely see where that goes. Uh, but moving on to the co-main event, where the AEW Women's World Championship is on the line, is Hikaru Shida, a champion for a year, the first ever in AEW history, defends against Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. To me, this is not only the biggest women's match in the history of AEW so far, but it is one of the biggest match matches, period. Like, it doesn't matter if it's women's, men's, tag team, doesn't matter. This match has massive stakes, and I want to give some credit to AEW for being patient with Britt. She has gone to a point where she is legitimately a top star in that company, and people absolutely adore her. And Sheeta, on the other hand, has been a phenomenal champion who is deserving of this huge spot. So, Robbie, how do you how are you feeling about this one? Well, I wrote a full uh, length piece about this that'll be published on Saturday. Should give you a pretty good idea of how I feel about it. Simply put, I am very excited. Like you said before. She just passed one calendar year as AEW Women's World Champion, Hikaru Shida did. And to me, she's been one of the the most important players in this pandemic era of wrestling. Because even though she had limited opponents for a time, I feel like she's been able to get the very most out of them. Whether she was taking on these the up-and-coming stars like Tai Conchi or Anna Jay or the veterans like Thunder Rosa and Ryo Mizunami, she's been able to have great matches with everybody and get the most out of those performances. And I guess it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, given you know the fact that Shida has been trained by Emi Sakura, who's been very much an unsung hero in the world of Joshi wrestling, at least in my opinion. She, I knew you were going <laughs> to get the Emi praise in here, and I love it. Yeah, I, I can't help it. You, you know me, I'm a bit of a mark for Gato move as well. So I feel like I had to pepper that in just a little bit. But no, in all seriousness, she has done very well, Hikaru Shida has, of representing the women's division during a time when wrestling seemed very uncertain. Yep. And, you know, let me ask you, what are your thoughts on Brit here? Because, you know, I'd love to praise Shida, but... The work of Britt over the past year, especially because, you know, she missed double or nothing with an injury last year and has still been able to become this sort of huge star in a sense, you know, with with that match with Thunder Rosa that really stole the show. To me, it's the AEW match of the year so far. Like, she has done a lot in her power to prove that not only she belongs, but she is one of the best. So... What's, what's your thoughts on Britt over the past year, especially since their first singles match where Britt Baker broke her nose, um, which, you know, I think is telling. That was a year ago, and it's all built to this. Like, from that moment, Britt Baker was a different competitor. From that moment, Sheeta went on to become champion. I wrote an article about that, and I think what you're able to touch on in your upcoming one is how incredible these two – have been to get here and what this match really means for the women's division as a whole. So what's your thoughts on Brit? 
I got to say when AEW started and Britt Baker was being positioned as the top women star, I, I just, I didn't get it. You know, I felt like she, she had potential to be sure, but it always felt to me like there was something missing. It wasn't until she turned heel that things started to fall into place. And to me, at least outside of Kenny Omega, there's been no AEW star that's benefited more from a heel turn than Britt Baker. She created this this self-important persona. And not only that, but she's been having better matches. You mentioned the Thunder Rosa match um, earlier this year, which was the first women's main event on Dynamite, by the way. She has just been trucking along. She's been building a lot of steam as the challenger for Sheeta. And I don't see this upcoming match at Double or Nothing ending with anything other than a title change. Aha! So you are picking the doctor, DMD, Britt Baker, Tony Schiavone's best friend, according to her. You're picking Britt Baker to beat Sheeta? I'm picking Britt Baker to beat Sheeta. Goddamn you, Robbie, me too. You know, I was trying to, like, be different this entire show, but we weren't really good at that, which is okay because I'm not even saying the show's predictable. I don't think it is. I think there's a lot of matches that could go either way, especially, um, you know, the, the last two title matches. I think this one could too, but I feel like we've been working really hard to get to this crowning moment for Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. I'm going to keep saying it because she wants me to. That's just her thing. And, you know, I'll never forget that image of the crimson mask she had in that Thunder Rosa match. Like, that was the look of a star-making performance. She lost that match. People forget that. She lost. But she walked out what I think is the even bigger winner. Like, they've somehow managed to make it all about her despite Thunder Rosa being the one that won. And I think that's a credit to her star power and the idea that the Thunder Rosa Britt Baker feud can continue with this title on the line. Sign me up. And I think that has a possibility of maybe down the line being the first ever AEW women's pay-per-view main event. So I'm with you there. Britt Baker taking it home should be an excellent match. Yeah, I have to agree. And if Baker wins, which I believe that she will, it's not like she's going to have a shortage of challengers now because, you know, coming out of this pay-per-view, she could take on Ty Conchi. She could take on Riho, Red Velvet, Anna Jay once she heals up. She could run back the feud with Thunder Rosa and have the AEW Women's World title up for grabs in that one. It's not as if she's going to be short on people to work with, which is great. Meanwhile, with Karashita, like we touched on in the on the previous match, you know, with Sheeta as you know, as still a top star, she can move up and down the card at will, doing different things. And as she builds, you know, these different stories, she can eventually work her way back up to the title picture, which she will. It just gives her an opportunity to do other things. Yep. And I think, you know, as the world continues to open up a bit more, um, the Japanese influence that AEW has had will only 
grow that much more. So, you know, hey, who knows? Maybe a few months down the line, Britt's still running strong, and we get a match between her and Maki Ito. Or, my personal opinion, we get her versus Venny, which would be amazing. But, you know, that's a discussion for another day. Now, uh, you know what? I'll let you, uh, I know you like Fanny. I'll let you praise Fanny real quick. Yes, I am a big fan of hers. Um, during Pride Month, I did write a full piece on her. And uh, to say that Venny has been a a star in the world of Joshi wrestling has been a bit of an understatement. Um, in Steepling alone, uh, Venny is a major title holder. I believe she holds both their Beyond the Sea title and um, their tag team title, which is fantastic. And I don't feel like I can sing her praises enough. I feel like for those that you know, are unfamiliar with Venny's work, um, check out Choco Pro. You know, Venny's been on a bunch of episodes. Um, most it's recently. free. Yeah, it's free too, and it's pretty good stuff, pretty easy viewing. And the last match that Venny had on that was a was a six-person tag with uh, with Venny, Yuna Mizumori, and Chris Books against Pencil Army, which was a very fine match. But, you know, I don't want to get too off topic, but my point is, if you want to sample Venny's work, you, you definitely have your options. There's always enough time to praise Venny. That's just that's just fine. Do not worry about that. And you can watch the uh, Hana Kamara Matane show, which uh, Venny had two incredible matches, whether it be the tag or the singles match against Kagetsu. Just to toss that in there. But let's get to the main event of Double or Nothing. The AEW World Title will be on the line as Kenny Omega defends in a triple threat match against. The Bastard Pock and Freshly Squeezed Orange Cassidy. Robbie, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this one because I think this match is going to be incredible. And it's going to be very interesting because it's very rare we have seen Kenny Omega, especially in a match that is a triple threat. So I'm excited. Yeah, same here, man. It's And it's also interesting because you have three distinct personalities in this match, but three great wrestlers all the same. Um, I don't think Kenny Omega's wrestling ability needs much in the way of introduction. I believe that his work over the past several years has been evidence of that. Pac is someone who I feel up until recently has gone under the radar. I know that injuries have hampered him, and that's been unfortunate, but when he's healthy and he can go, there's there are very few in AEW as well as wrestling in general that can touch him. Orange Cassidy is very much the wild card of this match, and even though people think of Orange Cassidy and they think of the lethargic character, they think of him putting the hands in his pockets and doing the 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 kicks that really don't do much of anything. It's easy to forget that he is very good at wrestling. He's very capable at it. So. With these three different personalities at play, it's easy to expect this is going to be a good match. Yeah, I'm the resident uh, Death Triangle uh, fan, Mark, whatever you may call me. So 
Pac's involvement is very exciting for me, and I think his promo he cut last week was really telling of how he's essentially on a mission to hunt down the elite for what they've done to him, which, you know, I feel like everyone's after the elite, but considering Pac has the death triangle behind him, man, that could be a fun feud if we end up going down the line of Pac and the Lucha Bros against Kenny and the Bucks like that. Just the idea of that match potentially, which is a match, if I'm not mistaken, we saw before. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I feel like we've seen something, you know, like that, but not recently. Uh, yeah. We did we did see Kenny and the Good Brothers, which, you know, the Good Brothers are fine and well, but I will take the Young Bucks 10 times out of 10 when it comes to in-ring um, beauty in, of sorts. So you brought up Orange Cassidy, and I do think at one point this match was supposed to be Kenny Omega versus Orange Cassidy. That's where I think we were going. But we got an interesting uh, situation a few weeks ago when Pac hit the powerbomb on Cassidy, and Cassidy was clearly knocked out. Um, he was not all there. And it led to a DQ finish where Omega ended up wiping out Pack in the middle of the ring, leading to a double count-out draw type of situation where they both couldn't get to their feet. So it presents this interesting idea of, first of all, who wins for you and who takes the pin? Because I think that's always very important in a triple threat match. Yes. Yeah, so as far as who I believe is going to come out the winner, I don't see Kenny Omega losing the title double or nothing. I see him going over. And I see him going over with a pin on Orange Cassidy. I feel like with Orange Cassidy, he's a character who who can take a loss and still be very strong. I mean, he's taken multiple losses in the past hasn't really hurt his credibility. Pac is somebody who is more physically imposing and dominant, and he, he hasn't really been on Dynamite as much as Cassidy has, at least not to me. And to me, you would want to protect Pac more. And with me, I, I don't see a... a Omega losing the AEW world title. If anything, I see him losing the Impact world title first. So, you know, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I see an Omega win here over Cassidy. We are in agreement one final time, Robbie. And I think, you know, this is probably, to me, the easiest match on the entire show to predict strictly because they got big plans for Kenny, rightfully so. And... Who knows? Maybe this leads to them doing Omega versus Pac, which would I believe would be the fourth encounter since they've joined AEW, if I'm not mistaken. It's either the fourth or third. And, you know, that's just another big pay-per-view match you could save for down the line. And I'm also saying he definitely will pin Orange Cassidy because he's a guy that, you know, if he gets pinned, oh, well, moving on, like, 
you made the point uh packs the type of uh persona character that can't necessarily take those pins so yeah i'm 100 with you and let, just like that that's our preview and predictions how about that uh not too bad for a first time huh no not too bad at all man we've uh shared some thoughts had some good discussion um i i might have got a little animated near the middle there but other than that we had a good time yeah um would you like to cut it off with an american dream type promo Go fuck yourself. No, no, I will not. <laughs> I, I will not do that. Get, get, I get. meant, I meant like Dusty Rhodes. God, jeez, man. No, D- Dusty's uh, not one of mine. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, this was the Wrestling with Edwards podcast with Robbie Sutter and, of course, myself. Definitely check out us on uh, i'm thinking it'll be up tuesday for the aw review for double or nothing so until then have a good one folks また美学でしょう